So we're coming in, we're wading into Mark chapter 13. Mark 13 is something that is known as the Olivet Discourse. This discourse is recorded in three places in the Bible, uh, in, in Matthew 24, in Luke 21, and in Mark chapter 13. They're all very, um, very similar. There's a few small added details in some of the different accounts, which we'll cross-reference as we go through. But uh, this is a, an important section of scripture, so we're going to spend about three weeks working our way through this, and we still will only probably get just the surface of it. So if you're in a growth group, you'll get an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper, and if you're not, I would really hope that you would take some time. I'll give you uh, some homework, I guess, at the end that will help you flesh out some of this. Today, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8, and in the beginning of this discourse in verses 1 through 8, um, what we get is um, our Lord Jesus prophetically features or focuses on the events that are going to take place between um, his first and his second coming. Now, we have a number of people in here that are new believers, and we have visitors every week, and so if you're not um, aware of just one of the most important church doctrines is, is the second coming of Jesus. So we've had the first coming of Christ as the suffering servant that took place um, when some 2,000 years ago when Christ came as, as a babe born of a virgin. I love that song that we sung. It pretty much described what we believe. Um, but the second part of that is that there is a, a time where Christ is going to return to gather his own and uh, to lead an army and to conquer the the, the um, depth of depravity that has been reigning and will reign even more destructively in the coming seasons of time. And so we as a church look forward to a second coming. So as we come to Mark 13, what is taking place is, is Jesus is, is going to be fleshing out the events of what is happening between his first and his second coming. Now, verses 1 through 8 are primarily focused primarily focused on what I would call today future history. Sounds like an oxymoron because it is. Jesus was talking to some of his disciples, and some of those disciples, um, what Jesus tells them in verses 1 through 8 are history or futuristic to those disciples, but it's history to us because we have the end of that part of historical story. And so it's kind of exciting if we just look, it's not really a point of the sermon, but it's, it is exciting when we look at when Jesus prophesies something to these disciples, and then we get to look back and see how perfectly it came true um, shortly after he prophesied it. And then in, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some of the events that are more in line with what are going to happen and have not yet happened, but are due to happen before Christ returns again. So um, we're going to just walk through this, verses 1 and 2. If you're taking notes, um, in your notes, the first, the first uh, line is we look at the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple. Now, it reads like this, Mark 13, verses 1 and 2. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will, not be one, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, having 
engaged, this is Christ, having engaged in a full day of teaching, um, he had delivered his final instructions to the people in verses 1 through 37 of the previous chapter, chapter 12, uh, having issued what would be equivalent to like a verbal spanking to the religious leaders and the elites of that day. Jesus now leaves the temple. He had just had his last teaching in the temple. And he leaves the temple. He's exiting through the eastern gate. And his disciples come out of the temple with him. And one of them looks back and says, Hey, look, look, look Jesus. Look at uh, what the wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, we really don't know why, whoever this, why they said this. You almost kind of get the picture. They're walking out. And maybe they're one of these people that, you know, these kind of people that just can't let things be silent. Like when it's silent, they get really fidgety. <laughs> and so, so maybe that's what was going on here. There was, there was a, a break in the conversation, and they, they just had to say, oh, I can't stand this. Up. Look at these wonderful stones, you know. Um, whatever the case might be, whatever the case might be, they said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what, what wonderful buildings. And, and that was very true because of this reason. This, this temple in Jerusalem was... Uh, an architectural marvel. It was one of the greatest structures, man-made structures in ancient history, in the ancient world. And there was particularly the massive stones, which were were not just made, but also stacked on each other. It was was incredible to people. And, and on the eastern wall, specifically, it was covered completely with gold. And the temple structure, when the sun hit it, it gleamed. It gleamed like a jewel. People said that they couldn't even look directly at it when the sun was hitting. So it was this massive complex. And in Jesus' day, the, the temple had already been under construction for about 50 years, and it wasn't yet complete. And, and another interesting thing is the wall around it that Herod had helped build as part of, of adding on to Solomon's temple, it was about a mile in circumference, around a 35-acre grounds that you could fit up to like 12 football fields in. So this is a massive area with this, this temple in the middle of it. Now, just to jump to today real quick, you, you can imagine they're saying, well, look at this beautiful temple that we've got. Um, today, we don't have a beautiful temple. Thankfully, we have a, a, a nice humble place to come and worship here at this church. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, we, we, Lord willing, are going to build a little bit bigger building uh, over on our church property sometime in the near future. Um, but even then, that building, we're not building it to be this glorious big temple. Hopefully it'll be, you know, it'll be, it won't be an eyesore, hopefully. But it's certainly not going to be anything like this particular temple. So where we worship isn't necessarily, as far as a building, a beautiful place. But I do want to say, as I come to this text and I think about this, we as a church are in a beautiful season of time. Uh, we're in a beautiful season, not just beautiful season out there, although this is great and glorious, uh, which, by the way, many props to all of you for being here um, on Daylight Savings Time. We were wondering if anyone would show up, and you did. And the previous month, it's been snow every Sunday, it seems like, and now it's a beautiful day. And, and, uh, but anyway, it, it, it's, it's, it's nice that we've got this place to worship, but our place isn't beautiful like this temple. But we are in a beautiful season as a church. And I bring this up because... As we think about as we think about this, um, what is it that, that makes this season of our church life beautiful? Um, is it the great worship? Is it the the growing growth groups? 
Is it the prayer that takes place? Is it the different programs, the youth ministry, the children's programs that are great? Um, is it the great preaching? Is it the great... Jay, <laughs> perfect timing. Um, and, and, and how important it is, really, when it comes down to it, the answer to that question is no. What makes this a great season? And what makes anything great for us as believers is it really is rooted in the greatness of God, his character. James tells us that every good, every perfect comes down from him, from God, the father of lights. And we have to be as a people so, so tethered to that truth that all things that are beautiful aren't created by our own energies and our own efforts. God certainly gives us gifts and we get to use those gifts together. But really what makes us a beautiful season at its core is that we worship a beautiful, glorious God, the God that is revealed to us in Scripture, the God that is revealed to us in this beautiful place that we live, and how important that is. Because when we don't remind ourselves of that oftentimes the case, what happens is we can slip into what has happened here with the religious context of that day. Now, coming back to this temple, there's the, the sheer hugeness or enormity of this temple, and combined with its magnificence and splendor, um, it makes it kind of hard for us to imagine, but even more so for the disciples back then, to imagine that what Jesus is saying, that one day these stones are not going to be together. They're going to be falling down. Verse 2, it says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down or torn down. So th this, this word is thrown or torn down is it's actually a pretty violent word it's it means to slowly destroy something i don't know why this picture keeps coming into my mind but the picture is have you ever been to the coast when to the 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 candy making machine the what do they call that the the taffy machine and, and they've got this they got they got all that blob of sugar ishness and they take it and put it in this big thing and then they put it on this machine and that machine grabs it and stretches it and then just kind of pulls this and the, the sugary stuff just stretches and about the time it's going to separate it comes back together and it does it again and you could just sit there and like watch this and eat their free toffee the whole time you're watching this thing go on but but it's this kind of picture it's this slow ripping apart except unlike the taffy machine one it doesn't taste good and two it actually separates and it it pulls something and breaks something apart. That's the, that's the word picture we get here when, when Jesus is saying not one stone is going to be left. This is going to be destroyed. It's going to be pulled apart. Now, the failure of the temple authorities, the religious people of, of Jesus' day to respect God's intended purpose for the temple, it, what it did was created this, this climate in which the future ruin was certain. The disciples then, and even the religious people of that day, didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But they had taken this temple that had been designed to, to be a place of worship where God would come with his people. And people would be able to come and bring their sacrifices and, and get cleansed of the sin in their life and be restored in relationship with him and with other people. They had turned that into just religious observance, just showing up and going through the motions, and we also know from previous sermons that they had taken advantage of people's um, poverty, they had taken advantage of people and exhorted money from them, and, and so that's really the, 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 
the soil from which Jesus is talking about this destruction is going to come. And now, where we, we get to see history, which is so beautiful, Jesus predicted this, that this temple was going to be destroyed, and that didn't actually happen until the final destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 by, by Titus. So in A.D. 70, Jerusalem was, was conquered. We'll talk more about that in a minute. It was after a fire had raged through this temple that, that Titus ordered the demolition of the temple in the course of which buildings were leveled to the ground and isolated fragments of structures of the old city wall can still to this day be recognized through archaeological research and confirm to the degree in which Jesus' prophetic words came true. So this, this temple's external beauty before the destruction uh, was a monument really to the what we call apostate religion at that, at that time. And it was not unlike what we would see as a whitewashed tomb. Whitewashed tomb. That's not a picture that we would necessarily identify with so much in our day, but certainly in Jesus' day they would identify. You don't have to turn there, but you can make a note. Matthew 23 Verses 27 and 28, it says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. On the, on the outside... On the outside of this temple, it was polished marble glistening in the, in the sun. There was gold on the outsides. But it, in the insides, it stenched with corruption, with, with grossness, with, with hypocrisy, with hard-hearted belief, with an absence of the love of God and a pure heart of worship. And this was a system in which the Jewish religious leaders perpetuated over and over again. And because of this, consequently, what meant, that meant was that the cup of God's fury was going to be poured out upon this temple and it would be destroyed and the house of Israel would be left desolate. Now, leads us to this question, what is, it's just a simple question, what is the focus of your life? What is the focus of my life? Let's be honest, we live in an incredibly materialistic world. Uh, where, as um, one author put it, we can spend all of our time polishing monuments. It's so easy to get caught up in the external, the material things, and, and miss the fact that there's something so much more valuable beneath the surface of the facade of, of the world that we live in. We can, we can look at different qualities. We can focus ourselves on financial gain, on our possessions, on our retirement plans, on our travel plans, um, on our homes, um, on our, our fitness. We can, we can put all of this energy and this effort into the facade of things and not be nurturing the inner things of life, the inner woman, the inner man of life. And, um, and really what that does is it sets a person up for failure growing if their focus is completely on the external of things. And I really appreciate um, Chris and Diane Kroll. They celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary last week. Chris is going to be sharing his testimony here. They're two of our newest members. They're going to be sharing their testimony here in a bit. But if you don't know, he's leading a fitness class on Saturday mornings here at the church. And um, it's great. I think it was a pretty full class yesterday, but I think there might be still, still some room. So if you'd like to join in and 
and step your way to a better health and, and whatnot, then see Chris after the service. But, but um, one of the things I really appreciate about Chris when he leads these classes is, is um, he always starts us off with prayer, which is good because some of us need prayer to make sure we don't fall down um, during the class. But the other thing I really appreciate is, is he gives us some verses to focus on, and he reminds us that this is good. If we have healthy bodies, we're able to, to live healthier lives, which means we're able to, to love God and love others better. So that, that's, and one of the verses that he, that he has us memorize is, uh, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life as well as for the life to come. And the life to come is really what we get to focus on. The life to come is the joy that we get to know that our, our, our Lord and our Savior is coming again. And we're going to get to dwell with him forever and forever and forever. And the picture we were talking, I was talking with a brother in our growth group about our, our misconception of, of heaven and what we think heaven is. And our, our, we were so off. Heaven is so much more vast and beautiful, fun, worshipful, uh, engaging than anything that we oftentimes in Christianity understand. And, and yet we can so oftentimes spend all of our time focusing on the external of things when we, I, I would, would imagine that if we were just all pool our anxieties in our life right now, um, our anxieties are probably wrapped around some of the, ex, the, the exterior things of life, the things that really we need to survive, but they don't bring us lasting hope. They don't bring us lasting joy. They might just bring us temporary shelter, whether that be physical shelter or emotional shelter or things like that. So um, moving on, the first thing that they focused on was the destruction of the temple, Jesus here. And now in verses three through six, he moves on to the deception of many, the deception of many. As he sat, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, Opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of all of these things that are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name. I am he, and they will lead many astray. So having crossed now the Kidron Valley, um, they're on the Mount of Olives. Jesus and his disciples, they look back now from a distance at the, the temple complex. And Jesus, as he sat there, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him some questions privately. And the two questions that he, that he asks, really what they were focusing on, they were very eager to learn more about what the future held. They, they wanted to know what the prophet Zechariah had been prophesying about in Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah. And so they ask in verse 4, tell us what these things will be. What will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished or about to be fulfilled? And according to the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, it says, tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now, in Matthew's account, what it does here is it indicates that their question was much bigger than the inquiry just about the destruction and the carnage that was going to take place at the temple. They really wanted to know about the end of days, the end of their, their present age. Um, and the disciples, like many of first century Jews, they, they did not understand that there was going to be anything more than a single coming. They didn't understand that. They, they thought that there was just a single coming. They didn't know much about the the um, 
the second coming. And, and so Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, it prophesies the, the coming of the, the servant king, the servant savior. That's the first coming. And then if you look at Revelations 19, 11 through 19, 11 through 19, you get to see there the coming of the conquering king. This is the second coming of Christ. That gets to be pre-laid out. And so we have this, this extended period of time elapsing between these two events, these two advents, these two, these two comings. And um, in order to help them understand this reality, Jesus gave his disciples this detailed reply to their question. Now, what's really important and interesting about this here in Mark 13, as well as in the other passages, um, this, this answer that Jesus gives to the questions that the disciples just asked right here, it is the single longest answer that Jesus gives anywhere else in the Bible um, to any question that is asked. So it's the longest answer that, is, that he gives to a single question asked by an individual. It's also, the obviously, the longest response or teaching that we have as modern-day believers, to things that are going to come in the last days at the end of time. And so that being said, it's, it's very clear that this is important for the church. It's important for them, but it's really important for us to understand and grasp the heart of what he's saying here, the truth of what is being, being communicated here. And what we know for sure, and we're going to get more about this in the future, but what we know for sure is he doesn't, want us focused on dates and times. That's not what he wants our focus. He doesn't want us to focus on the when. And the reason why is because if we all knew, it's kind of like the way that some people handle tests in school. If they know the test is at the end of the quarter, they're going to suck their thumb all quarter until the week before and then cram for the test. That's not the life. That, that's the life in which the, the hypocrites and Pharisees live. That's not the life that God calls. God calls us to live in the everyday, walking in faithfulness, walking in holiness, empowered by his spirit to do that, relying on the, the example of Christ in our daily life and looking forward to and looking expectantly to the second coming of Christ. So... Um, Pretty, pretty important. Now, in answer to this question, in verse 5, Jesus describes some of the specific, what we'll call birth pangs, or warning signs, some things to, to keep an eye out. And, and this would proceed as certain. First, he begins to explain to them that the world would be sub subjected at this time to relentless deception by spiritual frauds. And he told them this, see that no one leads you astray or mislead you. And I think it's really important that that's really the first thing he says to the, the question that they ask. See to it that no one leads you astray. And I'll tell you what, this is a day, this is a big problem in our world today, is the deception that takes place in the lives of believers or in the lives of people in the church um, because of the deceivers that are out there the mess that is out there, and the lies that are out there. And, and part of the problem is that believers, we're to live in the everyday of life, the moment by moment of life, um, and yet the prophecies that all are being written about here, these prophecies are really for a one-time generation of a persecuted people sometime in the future. Now, if I was to give you my, you know, show my hand here, it would be, I, I would say, personally, I believe that we are getting close to the last days. 
That's my personal belief. Now, I realize that people have said that, well, since these disciples, they thought they were living in the last days. I personally feel like there are some prophetic um, completions that have taken place and that someone, whether it's me or whether it's, it's my, my, my children or my ch- you know, or some of the youngest, maybe they're two-year-olds in the nursery, they're going to experience some of the end-of-day things. And it's just my own personal, not prophetic, that's my own personal experience. But, but the point here is, regardless of that, Jesus is calling his people here to, to look, to be seers, to, to look in. The word is to see. This means to be very careful, very discerning, looking at the things um, of the past that, that surface details to the true significance. Now, deceivers are going to come. Deceivers are going to come, and they are going to do their best to deceive. deceive. History is going to bring disasters, but don't be fooled, it says. Don't be fooled by these things. Persecution is going to come, but don't look, overlook the opportunities to be a light for Christ and a witness for him, but to see. It's important to notice here, though, that as we're looking to see, this isn't a call for self-preservation. This isn't a call to, to do that, but it's a call to look out and not be deceived through the end times. So virtually, Jesus is saying, go into the future with your eyes wide open, looking for and expecting deception. And I think it's so important in, in, in every generation, but I think it's really important in our day, and I, it just it makes me sick personally to see how much deception takes place via internet specifically via youtube and and i can think of people that aren't here because they've been sucked in by deceptive doctrine that is spewed out online and some unknown person that's probably not good with people so the only way that they're able to communicate is with a camera they project themselves and they connect with other people that they never physically have to interact with, but this becomes their quasi wackety wackety church that's out there online. And I personally believe that, that God calls us to a local church congregation so that we can bring our wackiness together. Um, and we can, we can work on it together. We're called to do that because we're all, we're all have our own stuff, our own wackiness in some senses. But, but trying to take that outside of real relationships is, is very an unhealthy, very destructive thing because what ends up happening is you take the very obscure things of the Bible and you make them very, very, um, the very, very central things, which kind of, as we go into the next two, three weeks talking about prophecy, there's an overriding principle that I want us to always keep in mind. And this is an overriding principle I'll, I'll try to bring up regularly, and, and it's here. I don't have it in your notes. I probably should have put it there. But it's a quote from a guy named Alistair Begg, great pastor, preacher, teacher. And he says, the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. Um, another way to put this, if it's not biblically clear, um, it's, not, it's not that it's not biblically important, but we need to focus on the things that are biblically clear. And what do we know is very biblically clear? Jesus told us a few weeks ago when we were in Mark chapter 10. He told us, love God with everything in you, love God with everything, and love the people around you. You want to know what all of the law and the prophets, what what they're all about? Love God with everything and love the people around you. Love where you live. That means loving God and loving other people. Those are the main things. Those are the plain things. That is the stuff that we as people of God are to keep at the central focus. In the midst of that, we understand that there is a a coming end times. 
And in this coming end times, there are a number of perspectives on how those things are going to come about, when those things are going to come about. But those things are not to split up a church. Those things are not, and I'm kind of setting this up because some of the things that we're going to talk about are topics that the church through the ages has made the main thing when they're not the main thing. And so I would definitely expect as we come to some of these things, as we talk about the rapture, we talk about the millennial kingdom, as we talk about these things, there's differing opinions. Um, and we're going to kind of flush out what some of those things are, but we got to make sure that we keep the main thing, the plain things, the plain things, the main things, or you know what I'm saying, that, that whole thing. I'm getting backwards on my, my mind, but that's what's important for us. We can never lose focus um, because we serve a beautiful, glorious God who's given us a very clear purpose to love him and to love the world around us and to not be sidetracked by some things that are a little bit harder to understand um, when we come to some of these prophetic passages or more controversial passages. We, and, and, and I'm going to have you, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to 1 John chapter 4. I didn't put it on here on purpose, but 1 John chapter 4. Um, we're going to be verses 1 through 4. We'll read in just a minute. As you're turning there, um, we, we know, we, we can look through history and we can see um, we can see how people are deceived all throughout history. Uh, over 800 people lost their lives following, uh, following Jim Jones, who literally told them to drink poisoned Kool-Aid. And we can look at the compound in Waco, Texas, where David Koresh claimed he was the Messiah and all those people burnt to the ground. And uh, other examples, you have the Heaven's Gate cult down in Los Angeles, 35 or so suicides took place because they believed that um, they knew when God was returning. And these people, really all of these people had, had barren souls. They all were seeking and searching for truth, seeking and searching for meaning, seeking and searching for their so-called messiahs, but they missed the most important thing right in front of them. They got so focused on the the controversy on the obscure that they missed the heart of God in the gospel of Christ. So Jesus warns us not to be deceived by these prophets. And here is a, here is a great, great love letter that was written, First uh, John 4, 1 through 4. You can read along as, as I read. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which is you heard was coming and now is in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 1 John 4. So we've seen up until this point Jesus talk about the destruction of the temple. We've, we've also seen him talk about the deception of many. We live in a day where many are deceived, and that's only going to become greater. And then thirdly, we see here, verses 7 through 8, we see the devastation of the world. The devastation of the world. And when you hear, and when you hear of 
Wars and rumors of wars do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There will be, there are but the beginning. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. So here, as Jesus continues to articulate the birth pangs that will precede his return, he described really this global, this global devastation that is going to take place at some point in time. Now we know, again, from looking at history, the immediate reference here to verse 7, the immediate reference is to what took place. This is a result of the Jewish rebellion in AD 66 and then turned into the the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And then for for extra credit, you can go on to the, the complete annihilation that took place of the Jewish zealots in Masada. Um, back um, in A.D. 73 or A.D. 74. But it's so natural for us, it's so natural for us to think um, that we live in the end days um, because we see all these wars, we see all the rumors of wars, especially this this was a day they didn't have social media. I I think if they had social media back then, um, they would be overwhelmed by the things that are taking place around the world. Sometimes it would be a year after events took place before they would even hear of the news can you imagine by the way that's one of the signs of the end times that knowledge would be very accessible it's one of the the signs that isaiah the prophet said that the knowledge will be very accessible to people and it's amazing to me that today i mean even a hundred years ago if you'd think you'd ask the people you know someone in zimbabwe in a hut could throw something on instagram and it could show up in yakko washington immediately um they would say, no way. Uh, and, and yet that's taking place these days. Just one, again, one more sign. I get ahead of myself, though. But going back to wars, we have 3,420 years of recorded history. Any guess how many of those years there was no record of a war out of 3,420? 268 years. Out of 3,420-some-odd years, only 268 don't have a record. That doesn't mean there wasn't a war that was taking place. It just means that they didn't have the latest edition of the paper, most likely. Um, that, I mean, wars are taking place, but Christ is clear. It is only going to increase as the birth. It's just like the process of a child. It's just like <laughs> any day, the 12th of this month, uh, we are praying that we, we are praying you more so than us, I'm sure. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the birth pains. Maybe as an illustration, could we get something going in the middle of the service? Um, no, but the idea, though, the idea that you go through... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Man, that would be epic. So, as, as we go through, but... <laughs> uh, I know how miserable Katie is. Um, not from experience, I understand, but, but she's in our growth group and, and I get to see it. And I, I'm thinking God is wise for having women go through childbirth and not men for many reasons. Um, it's, 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 it's a pain in many senses. It's uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's, it's tough, but what's the point? Theo is going to be here. Theo is going to be here very, very, very soon. And, um, all of that. All of the pains, all of what we have to go through um, is going to give birth in, in our lives as followers of Christ in that day, in that time when we get to be with him eternally. 
when he will come and return um, to gather his own around, when he, when he conquers the, the ugliness of the world that we live in, and we live in a situation where, where there's a lion and a lamb that, that can abide together, where, can you imagine, where there, there isn't the war of, um, of CNN and Fox News and the lefts and the rights and the ups and the downs, that the, there's not the politics, there's not the pain, um, there's not the open-heart surgeries, um, all of these things. And yet there's life that is given to us in which we get to enjoy, um, where every day is our best day times a thousand. Um, what a great day it is that we have to expect. But we need to realize that as that day approaches, our experiences on a physical level are only going to get worse here on this earth. They're only going to get worse there is one position within this whole, this whole eschatology. I haven't used that word yet, but that's a study of the end times. There's one position that says that that won't happen, that things are going to continually get better because we already are, are living in the millennial kingdom. We'll talk about that in, in a bit. Not today, but in a bit. We'll talk about that. Um, I don't hold that position. But regardless of that, there is a day that is coming where we are going to live in, in, in harmony and peace and joy and when we, when we put our hands to, to work, we'll find great, great pleasure. Ultimately, it's going to be like what it was as God intended it back in the Garden of Eden to, to be able to live amongst one another in perfect relational harmony with one another and with him. How great that day will be. It's such a great day to look forward to. We do have painful realities that are going to come, but as believers, we don't have to be alarmed. We don't have to be frightened. It's important that you hear that because as we talk about more of these things, I'll just give you, you know, Jesus says it in verse 8. It says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Those conflicts, no matter how frequent or intense, they, they only foreshadow this final climatic conflict that is going to come, conflict of, of Armageddon. We won't go into, into that, but in addition to the pains of war, there's going to be earthquakes in various places, more so and more so. Um, there were earthquakes that took place shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem, but those earthquakes are only going to get more and more intense as the last days get closer. Um, in the parallel account in Luke 21, there's going to be great earthquakes, great tremors. Now, in addition to the wars, in addition to the earthquakes, there's also going to be, yippee, there's going to be famines. We don't even understand this in our world. We are so, we are so well taken care of. Um, we, uh, in, in, even in the point where we tried to have a food closet um, here available for people, and when people would come, they would ask for assistance, and we said, well, we've got all of this food, and they're like, I don't need food. I can get food from anywhere. Um, I want money. This is what they, what, they, what they want. But resources for us are so readily available. But there's going to be a day, Revelation 6 talks about it, where um, a famine will, will wipe out a quarter of the world's population. That's over a billion people, a few billion people. I don't know what the statistics are. That's going to happen. And also, on top of that, on top of that, there's going to be a, a poisoning of our water supply, and that poisoning is going to take out a third of the world's population. I mean, these are significant things. And, and so... Again, this is where we get into whatever position you particularly hold. Will Christians experience that? Will Christians not experience that? We'll, we'll flesh some of those things out in, in, the, in the future as G Jesus will do that for us. But 
Anyway, these, these times are coming at, at some point in time. We're called to see, to be prepared, to not be deceived by all those that come and say they are the Christ, they are the Messiah, but we are to look for instead these, these birth pangs and to look for the future. And, and, and really, as that, comes, um, as that comes, there's really nothing in life or death that could harm us, which is a great thing. And we had such a good example of that last week. If you weren't here last week and you didn't get to hear uh, the Greg's testimony, um, when they shared, they shared how he was captive and while in captivity, seven months, it was almost a daily occurrence. He thought he was going to be ripped off, taken out of his cell to be, to, to be killed. What a powerful testimony in, in that. Um, we have a peace and a hope that we know for those who are in Christ, when these days come, ultimately, what a joy it's going to be to say, Ooh, we're in it. We're in it. Wow, that means our time here on this earth is short, and we're going to pass from death, this life, to life, which is really, truly life that is everlasting. And I just want to say, if you're here and you don't know Christ Jesus as your Savior, um, I can't say it any more clearly. Without Christ in your life, then you will go through this destruction, and your eternal position is going to be separated from God in hell. And we don't like to talk about that these days, but the reality is you don't have to choose that option. You can choose to respond to Christ. He has loved us so perfectly by sending us his son, and his son who died on the cross shed his blood. And that blood, when it poured over the sins of the world, it makes us right with a holy and a perfect God. How beautiful that is. How beautiful that is. And there's many of us in our world today that need the redemptive word in our lives to receive Christ as our Savior, to walk with him, to let his blood cleanse us of our sin. And so if that's you, um, I just uh, challenge you, accept Christ and do it today. Let him become your Lord and your Savior. I'd love to talk to you about that personally. Um, it's, it's the greatest gift in my life and many of the lives within this room. So uh, let's, let's have the worship team come up. Oh, before I do that, I just want to pray, but I want to give you your homework. There's two things I'd just like you to look up this week. Um, one, look up what is the millennial, define this, define the millennial kingdom, okay? And define the three positions of the millennial kingdom. Not what those positions are, just what their names are. I could tell you. I could tell you. So what is the millennial kingdom, and what are the, the three main positions? Um, and then the next thing is, very similar, define the tribulation, and define the three main positions on the tribulation. What are those things? Again, you don't have to defend any of those positions, but what are their names? What are the names of... The, the names of those positions. Um, and I'm assuming some of you know some of those already, but we will talk more about that. It would help next week if you have a little bit of that background. It will help you anyway.